This is the Nutrition Story, a podcast by Vitamin Angels, a global organization working in the field of public health. At Vitamin Angels, we believe nothing should stand between a mother and a dream for her child's healthy future. Through this podcast, we bring you conversations with our partners and people who help us make this dream come true. While malnutrition exists as a universal problem across the country, there are various barriers to malnutrition that lie beyond availability, accessibility, or at times even affordability of nutritious food for households. Barriers like gender inequity, cultural caste and religious practices, socio-cultural contexts, etc. play a huge role in the problem and cause a gap between knowledge and practice. A holistic approach and conversations around malnutrition has to also address these barriers to behavior change beyond the ambit of stats and numbers. In this episode, we catch up with Siddharth Shreshta, Chief Social and Behavior Change at UNICEF India, to look at how organizations like UNICEF are addressing these barriers, the kinds of social and behavior change communication models that have made a difference and can be implemented at a larger national or universal scale, and the sensitivities that organizations and the government need to keep in mind when addressing malnutrition at the household unit level. Siddharth, thank you so much for speaking to the Nutrition Story podcast. Thank you. So Siddharth, UNICEF has done considerable work on the issue of malnutrition. What have the lessons been so far on the kind of approaches that have worked? All right. Thanks for the question. I would before I actually move on to a point on malnutrition, just like to point out the fact that, you know, what did we learn from the COVID, the peak of COVID experience? So three lessons. One for me is about evidence and evidence. So when we are looking at doing any form of nutrition programming, be it behavior change, be it service delivery, we believe that there is you know, it might take a little bit of a longer time, but there is definitely a big need and the importance of investing in evidence and not just talking about those long longitudinal studies, but also quick, sometimes quick kind of non-traditional research studies, which are targeted for a rural or a urban audience. So that's one. The other one is capacity building. Nobody actually even imagined not just in India, but in the world, in the development community, that training could be done online. We definitely learned that it needs to be face-to-face. But some levels can be online because, and it also is more cost-effective, and we can roll out much more in an expansive manner. The third lesson I wanted to say about this experience also for nutrition now is When we talk about advocacy, and advocacy is definitely a strong component of behavior change, it's not only advocacy at the national level. There are policy makers at the community level. There are policy makers at the district level. There's policy makers at the regional level and so on and so forth to the national level. So one thing we learned is advocacy needs to be done at all equal levels without saying that only advocate at the national and the state level and that's where the last point i wanted to bring on this experience is we talk about celebrities but using local influencers to addressing stunting addressing malnutrition addressing anemia is absolutely important because at the end of the day they also want their 
community to be recognized. I think for us, our experience shows that addressing malnutrition is not just a single-faced approach. It is multifaceted. It requires convergence across sectors and recognition amongst all stakeholders, which means the community, government, stakeholders, and policymakers that it is a joint effort. So in essence, the power of partnerships. One organization cannot address malnutrition, right? And if you see the new portion 2.0, that's the new program, this is the underlying principle of that. So in our work, we complement the efforts of the government, which is, of course, a well-planned, systematic, social and behavior change approach. And we hope that these interventions become sustainable. So again, three or four things which come to my mind here in terms of experiences. There are strong social as well as gender norms that govern nutrition practices. And I'm trying to bring in gender here because sometimes, particularly one of the lessons learned over the years is that when we just talk about social norms, it's not enough. We need to bring in the gender norms, the gender lens, beyond just the participation of women in a meeting. What we are trying to see here, and I think there is, we need to applaud the, the leadership of the government, also the partners, everybody. The other one is the continuous capacity building and supportive supervision of frontline workers and self-help groups are very, very important. And that's where also the gender comes in, in terms of, you know, building capacity and not just building capacity, but also building social capital of women collectives. And since we are talking about focused social and behavior change for malnutrition, I wanted to highlight the importance of increased opportunities of engagement platforms. For example, normally when we roll out programs, we look at, of course, the CSOs, we look at the frontline workers, we look at SHGs, Anganwadi workers. But if we want to, and coming back to the point on partnerships, if you really want to make a change, we need to move into non-traditional platforms, even for nutrition. For example, beyond the tribal groups, you know, imagine if we could partner with all retail outlets and pharmacies in the country, the public distribution systems, and if they could just say one message that, okay, you are, of course, they're going to sell their products, but if they can give one message on nutrition literacy, on having one nutritious meal a day for their child, it's going to be that revolutionary effect. Interesting. So while you're looking at, at a whole different approach in terms of being more inclusive, diverse, and non-traditional, we know that there are a lot of organizations working at the grassroots level, yet there continues to be a gap between translating their knowledge into action at the household level. Why does that gap exist and how do we address it? The gap between knowledge and action is not a problem that is exclusive to nutrition practices. We all know the benefits for a simple thing like hand washing with soap. But do we all wash our hands every time we have a meal? Probably not, right? This, by the way, is a nutrition-sensitive behavior and needs to be practiced by the mother caregiver before feeding the child and even before she has a meal. So what I see in terms of gap is we do, and including UNICEF, we do invest and work under the leadership of the state governments, the national governments, depending on the national priorities, the flagship priorities. We focus a lot on capacity building and training. 
But is that enough to deliver that gap you're talking about? Deliver it, translate into practice? Probably not. We can never be assured of the action taking place. So there is a significant need for investment like what we do in training for monitoring, for hand-holding, right? And investing in, for instance, coming back to the polio days when India worked really hard and now polio is history. There was an equal amount of investment in IPC, which is interpersonal communication, as much as the technical aspects. So what I mean by that is it's not enough for community frontline workers to just understand the message. But if they say, okay, I learned about this, do this. You think the community is going to listen? No. It has to be done in a human way. It needs to be engaging. It needs to be participatory. And that's something which is easier said than done. I think all of us have the same intention. But to do that, there is significant investments required. Whether we talk about human, whether we talk about technical, whether we talk about financial. Hmm, so really sustained effort, action and investment. But what do you see as the top three barriers to mothers and children receiving nutritious food at the household level? There has been a significant improvement across the board, but we still feel that there is a need to invest in knowledge and understanding about nutritious foods, not just mm -hmm. nutrition, right? Mm. It's not as simple as hand washing. That's one. The second one is on the acceptance and consumption of local foods as nutritious. Like if you see the government of India noble initiative on the millet mission right now, the focus on millets, the focus on local foods, that is one thing which needs to be invested across and there is a number of things which we are all involved in, like uh, two big events which happen across in the year, the Poshan Pakwara, the Poshan Ma. Those are the areas where I think there are opportunities and platforms to promote local foods, which also needs to have cover that huge component of diet diversity. The third thing is, we talked quite a lot about it, is the social norms and perceptions that often guide food consumption that's very important because nutrition is not about food only right it's both specific and sensitive it's about the adoption of behaviors beyond just your consumption of food and you asked me three but i'm just going to sneak in a fourth one uh, which is also important because and that also comes under knowledge but i wanted to make make a specific point there of perception of nutritious foods being expensive. It's not, right? I want to bring about a previous experience from Rwanda where we worked a lot on the kitchen gardens or nutri gardens as we call it here, which they grow locally with limited resources. It's about knowing what food to take. It could be behind in their nutri garden, but, but they would probably go to the market and buy something because the perception is like that. And that's where I think that, that approach or the perception of it is expensive, nutritious food is expensive, is something which we also need to break that mindset on. And in your experience, what kind of interventions prove most effective, given that malnutrition impacts people across 
different socio-cultural contexts, gender, as you pointed out, class, caste, cultural practices, and access and knowledge. I think first moving on to the broader points, the word which comes to mind is convergence. Again, I was talking about partnerships and I can't, sorry, I cannot stop talking about that because convergence is something whatever interventions we do but if there's no convergence between the partners the departments between the donors the policy makers we are not going to make that particular change the other one is resource leveraging and when i say resource leveraging it's not it's beyond financial resources i think we need to piggyback on each other's resources whether it's human financial or technical I already mentioned this, the importance to dissociate nutrition to food. Malnutrition occurs because of lack of intake of nutritious foods, including micronutrients. But it is equally true that nutrition sensitive actions like we were talking about are equally important. So as much as nutrition is a matter of supplies, it's also a matter of correct and consistent behaviors. The second, I think, what we have learned across the board, I believe, is the promotion of nutrition literacy across all groups of people on a healthy diet, healthy mind. A lot of organizations are doing it. But here, I wanted to specifically point that there is an initiative, I think it was started by UNICEF, but now it's gone across the board called Impact for Nutrition, which is a sounding board with the involvement of the private sector on nutrition literacy. So the whole idea is around organizations, factories also giving literacy on knowledge and nutrition, positive uh, nutrition and good nutrition to their employees so that they in turn take it to their communities. I've already talked a lot about it, but <clears throat> definitely community engagement is finding value investment in that is absolutely so more of a localized flavor to community engagement is something which we need to look at uh, very strongly faith-based organizations and influencers i already talked about so not not much on that and i think all of us coming together to support the government missions like portion 2.0 the saksham uh, anganwadi centers also beyond the traditional ministry focusing on the food nutrition and health module that initiative for self-help groups under the ministry of rural development so working across the board on a comprehensive approach is something which we have learned lessons and i'm sure it's going to give us huge dividends in the future so convergence and participatory approaches really so given that nutrition is in itself so intrinsically linked to larger issues of health livelihood and development how important then is also innovation in addressing the issue? Innovation is not just important for nutrition, but across the board. If we see for ourselves that the use of mobile phones, I get amazed when I go to the community always, that kids, adolescents are much more savvy on using Instagram in, in remote areas than even me. I'm not comparing that to innovation, but I think tech has a lot to do with innovation. But in the sense of coming back to the point of nutrition, I believe that there was a very good innovation linked to not interventions, but linked to monitoring, which was the Potion Abhiyan dashboard in 2017, which was developed for monitoring social and behavior change activities across 
36 states and 9 union territories. We never thought it's going to be so big. So it initially when it was developed uh, under the ages uh, leadership of the uh, Ministry of Women and Child Development, the dashboard was programmed for maybe a million, right? But if you are looking at 36 states, 9 union territories, and we all know how much the latest population of India is, it was a big challenge. But what it did was, we believe it was one of the first of its kind to track how many cycle rallies were happening in a remote district or remote community in Baraj in UP. How many advocacy meetings were happening in a remote village near Imphal in Manipur. So at the end of the day, we could get data during question mark how many of course the numbers we had to manage the numbers it was staggering it was in billions mm -hmm. so i think managing that was really good and the other thing was people were more participatory engaged by doing that so the ministry decided to give an award for the most number of people participation so even by using such a simple thing as a dashboard it brought in community People participation and people participation, when I talk about that, it was not community participation. It was the departments, right? District departments getting together. Okay, let's do something. Let's have the cycle rally. Let's get Nagaland featured. Let's get Manipur featured. Let's get Odisha featured. So I think using tech as well as that concept of community engagement really helps. That's something which I strongly believe is an innovation. The second one, whether we like it or not, we are all moving somehow other towards AI. Wherever I go, I forget looking at the landmark of billboard. I use Google Maps, which mm -hmm. is artificial intelligence. So definitely, I think the future, the nutrition world also needs to start looking at AI to improve community engagement, AI to improve nutrition literacy. And it's already being done in a more cost-effective, in a more scaled-up manner, which can be implemented in a more sustainable way for the future. Hmm. So AI, technology, a lot of convergence, people's approach, creating a competitive sort of evidence-based approach. Finally, what is the message, Siddharth, you have for listeners of this podcast? Since I'm in behavior change, I need to start with behavior change, be it the work on nutrition, be it the work on health or water or education. Social and behavior change is necessary for each and every program. So much so that if you see our honorable PM's initiative on mission life, focusing on climate change, there's a very strong component on awareness, education, outreach and taking action. So whether we are talking about designing any program, social and behavior change should not be an afterthought. It should be right from the start, right? As much as service delivery. If you're talking about supplies, demand should be in, in the same aspect. The second one I wanted to mention and bring it back as a summary on evidence is people don't change a behavior unless it makes a difference for them to do so. And do we know that people on an average make 35,000 decisions a day? 35. Wow. Which means that it's very difficult to change behaviors, right? When they are working on so many thousands of decisions. That's why evidence or more specifically behavioral science and data is so important to understand why people do what they do and how we can influence it. So in behavioral insights is something which we need to also invest in to make more targeted approaches so that a reduction of malnutrition happens. 
and I believe new, malnutrition again is every everybody's business. We are in it together, and we all, each one of us, have a responsibility, whether in our households, whether in our communities, or whatever role we are playing in the world, to contribute and work together if we wish to see India free of malnutrition. So healthy eating should be an aspiration for all, and nutrition literacy the buzzword. We're all in this together, Siddharth Shrestha. Thank you so much for speaking to the Nutrition Story Podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. That was Siddharth Shrestha, Chief Social and Behavior Change at UNICEF India, talking to us about tackling barriers to malnutrition at the household level. We would love to also hear from you. Write to us at contactindia at vitaminangels.org. We want to focus on how you too can join the fight against malnutrition and be a leader of change.